mainly because my father was disgusted with it, and that made me so happy. I think everyone has imposter syndrome, one way or another. Best idea wins. If ever there was a time, yeah, it's now. They say failure is a stepping stone to success. Welcome to The Impostress. The Impostress is hosted by me, Michael Knox, and Graham Drew, two rather insecure frauds who will be exploring the motivating and debilitating experiences we all have with imposter syndrome, with a sneaky suspicion that it might just be your superpower if you let it. It's a beautiful time where you were encouraged just to do the craziest ideas, to shock, to come up with wild things. Hi, Graham. How are you? Have you had a haircut? No, I just, I, I did it for this um, oh, is this the, conversation. Is this the 22 look? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Now, you know how I've been um, mm. trying to convince you and Steve-O on a particular idea. I'll, I'll remind you of it, that I was thinking that we should have a theme for February, which is Founders and Filmmakers February. Yeah. And you guys weren't really keen on it. You kind of ignored <laughs> ignored any conversation that um, about no, it, which is fair enough. But I've got a twist on it, which with has to do with our guest now uh-huh. and the month that we're in. So I wanted to pitch that we call it Fink Founders and Filmmakers February. Sure, That's, but it, it's January. Yeah, but this will put this to air in February. Right. But if we put it to air in March, that won't work. No. All right. Yeah, let's do that. Whatever you said. Okay. The Fink founders and filmmakers, because he, he's both. But anyway, we'll find that out. Find that out. We will. See what I did there. Hey, Graham. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Hi, Graham. Good morning. Graham, right. Thank you for coming on and talking to us. I guess I'd like to say you're a man that needs no introduction. And the reason I say that is because when I looked into your biography, it's really long. <laughs> You've done so many things. So I will, I, will go, I will go really, really quickly. So today we've got Graham Fink. Now Graham Fink has been there and done that in many, many ways. Starting off dressing up as an old man to get a job in when advertising was full of old men, arguably it maybe still is. Um, That's what I've done for this podcast, by the way, as a tribute. Yes. Dressed up as an old man, yeah. 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 <laughs> Graham has gone on to, I mean, I think we all probably know the British Airways face ad. I certainly remember it way before I even got into the industry. The fact I didn't even know you'd done that, and that's kind of blown my mind a little bit. All of the amazing abstract silk cut and Benson and Hedges stuff that if you lived in the UK was just everywhere when we were growing up. He's on four BAFTAs, the youngest ever president of the DNAD. But more than advertising, Graham is incredibly passionate about nurturing young talent. In 2005, he set up the art school, which some people say is Britain's most radical art school, to teach young people about creativity, film and design. In 2011, he left the UK, became chief creative officer of Ogilvy in China. I saw one of your talks, Graham, and you were talking about young talent and picking that young kid out of nowhere who, who did that brilliant little Apple tribute and then went on to create that Coca-Cola Grand Prix in Canada. I just love that story. It was incredible. I think something that all creative leaders can aspire to is just seeing talent from anywhere and just bringing it to the fore. And finally, you are the agent for the world's first social humanoid robot. So welcome, Graham. Thank you for joining us. And um, thank you for listening to me go through that. Great to be here. And I think it's a great series that you're doing. It's such a fantastic idea. Thank you. No, I mean, it's... um, it's a lot. I'd say alarmingly common, but it's not alarmingly. It's just it's one of those things that all of us have, and um, everybody seems to have 
a slightly different perspective on it on how they do it and um i guess what we're trying to do is try to change it being such a toxic thing and actually realizing that it's one of those things that fuels us this podcast series as you said is the ambition to take the self doubt and fear out of it and turn it into something and you've got this um this great quote which is not knowing where the fuck you are is the most creative place to be um that might well be the case can be pretty terrifying especially at the start of your career how did you get comfortable in not knowing where the fuck you are <laughs> well it's interesting um you know to start with i have this very funny name fink and when i was at school um fink wasn't a a good name to have you know even everyone even the teachers used to take the piss out of me um do you want graham in your class no i don't think i do um i used to get it all the time and so that sort of toughened me up um but the funny thing is as i grew up i sort of began to like it and i and i grew into it and now it's sort of become you know what 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 i stand for and, and things i believe in which is is you know to think think different so this idea of turning things on its head comes sort of very naturally to me now and i think it's all right to admit um that you don't know what you're doing because if you know what you're doing then it's probably you know been done before and therefore it's not original so if you're driving a bus um with a load of school kids in the back for instance and you know that's that's fine you need to have done that before and you and you need to know what you're doing but if you're searching for new ideas it, fresh ideas it's a problem because if you know what you're doing you're not being original so you've you have to set yourself in a place where you really don't know and you've got to be comfortable there you've got to become an explorer a pioneer and be like the first to go there to these sort of uncharted waters and then you that's where you find you an interesting things and if you rightly say you know you need some balls to do this and it is kind of terrifying but I suppose it is on one level but that's really about the pressure that you know we put on ourselves and we beat ourselves up very badly um so in a sense it's it's all in our head you know we've all heard that expression the only person standing in your way is you and i think in a lot of cases that's true so i did a lot of work on myself to try and retrain my mind and my thought process and my ways of working and of course it becomes a lot of e- easier with experience and after say presenting a number of pitches or giving speeches doing talks you you get slowly get better at it and and then you realize you know perhaps you haven't been as bad as you imagined it to be that's often the case and if you keep going you know you sort of look back on your track record and it says well somehow you've always managed to get there somehow so then that jumping off that cliff isn't quite so scary so you know now for me it's just about trusting my inner self letting go and and just have faith that it will it'll be okay and i think um that idea of you having faith in, in in yourself or freedom to express in whatever media that actually is you know shines through in the fact that when you, when when you do look at what your title is and I, i guess as creatives we went through times where we were all a bit awkward some of us were a bit awkward with with titles and and mm. and yours which is multimedia artist and there's no doubt you are that because you play an experiment and express yourself in a whole range of medias that we're going to going to talk about but not everyone believed in this idea or you believed in you considering yourself multi and you you talk about a design lecturer who once said in in regards to that now here's a guy who doesn't know what he wants to do 
I, I find that really interesting for someone like you to hear that so long ago to where you are now. And I just wanted to understand the power of another quote that you have, which is you can be everything. And, and they they do seem like, you know, you, you might have been someone who was told you need to decide what you are and stay in that box. But you have this big belief that you can be everything, which is different. You can be anything. Exactly. Um, yeah, no, it's funny. I mean, that story came from uh, my time at art school, the end of my foundation year. And, you know, your foundation year, you do try everything out to decide what it is you want to specialize in. And so my end of year show, I had this problem because I liked all of it. So I put up bits of painting, photography, sculpture, animation, design, silkscreen, etc. And then this assessor says, well, you know, here's a guy that doesn't know what he wants to do. And I said, no, I do know what I want to do. I want to do all of it. <laughs> you know, now there's this thing you know there's this saying we all have heard of it you know jack of all trades master of none and i think that's total bollocks you know in fact i'll go as far to say that that expression has probably destroyed more potential careers and crushed more self-beliefs than any sentence ever written and jack of all trades master of none you know it's a very shaming sentence if you think about it and that's actually i think uh, the root of all imposter syndrome. It's this, it's this kind of shame. And we are all carrying shame to some degrees. And it can come from anywhere. It can come from our parents. It can come from our teachers. It can come from other kids at school or, or your teachers or your peers. Um, and in fact, you know, when I, it's funny, when I was working at Ogilvy in China, we worked with the Shenyang Psychology Center and we created this piece of work about um, parents shaming their children with words and we did this a piece of work called words of weapons and we made these abusive words that the parents used to their kids we made them out of metal to form a, a gun or a knife and so it can have this very sort of long-lasting effect different people take it on in in different ways some of us can use it as a driving force um, to go on and do great things and 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 prove or basically prove everyone wrong and but other people may not have that. Um, they may not see it as a driving thing and it actually can really sort of obliterate all their confidence and it can lead to tragic kind of results. It's funny, you know, there's a, there's a Philip Larkin poem that I used to have my, on my wall and, and the opening says, they fuck you up, your mum and dad. They may not mean to, but they do. They fill you with the faults they had and add some extra ones just for you. And... <laughs> Obviously, I'm not blaming all parents here, but you you know what I mean, you know. And their parents said stuff to them that, and so this kind of shame gets put down. And I always remember my dad saying to me, you know, there's no prizes for coming second. And he said to his dad used to to, to say that. So I've used that as a driver, and I became very very competitive as a as a child, and I always wanted to win, and I sort of probably wanted to prove, uh, I prove a lot of people wrong. Um, and in advertising, you know, we have awards, and that's very interesting, isn't it? Because if you win a DNAD pencil, for instance, you might put it on your shelf, and it gives off a message to others that says, "Actually, you know, I'm all right. You know, I'm I, I'm good. I'm not a hopeless case." And um, but then you sort of get into this trap because after a bit, that one pencil isn't enough. You know, it doesn't actually fill the hole. And then you sort of find you need to win another one and another one, or uh, you know, you've got a bunch of can lines, you need to win another one. And, and it, it kind of the things never sort of fill the hole, I think. So you've got to sort of look elsewhere. 
But coming back to this jack of all trades thing, I think, you know, it's it's human conditioning. I mean, why can't we get lot good at lots of things? It's I believe it's about having the right mindset. I don't believe the human mind was created to be limited. We should be limitless. And it's about staying unquenchably curious. And so working in an agency or a design company or even building websites or in my art or music, I try to mix things around because you bring things from one area into another. You know, you do try to do a lot of cross-pollinating. You know, you know that expression, if the only tool you have is a hammer, then every problem looks like a nail. So what you really need is a veritable toolbox. And when I went to China, they had tools that people in the West haven't even seen before. And so I picked up a few of those and they often come in quite handy. <laughs> but do you, do you think then, you know, because there's so much in that that's good that, you know, we do have a lot of conversations on here about the motivation of proving people wrong. And that is that is a strong a strong urge, you know, it's flipping the bird to whoever, whoever that is, the, the kids that bullied you when you were young, your parents, the establishment whatever that is, but just on that point that you were talking about of having various creative outlets, do you think that that is something that allows you to build confidence in your day job? I think so. I think it's just good to to, to have all these interests, I think, because you can use something from, from one field and bring it in into another, and that's where the interesting stuff happens. You know, we all know that, 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 that great ideas come from sort of opposites that sort of collide that you know you take this idea you put it with that idea and a little bit of this idea and that's where the originality can come from because everything has kind of been done but if you sort of take take your own experience um and you make it a bit more i know true true to you and and the and the different things that you've worked on um you bring those you bring those things from different areas into I mean, I look at Bjork, you know, I think she's an amazing artist and, you know, she is interested in, you know, she's interested in video, she's interested in music, but she's interested in so many things and she loves collaborating with amazing mm. people um, from all sorts of life. And I've, I found out that she's actually part of a, uh, of a knitting group in Reykjavik. <laughs> and I just like the idea of Bjork sort of, can you imagine a sort of sitting there, a sort of knitting group. And I'm sure she just take stuff from knitting and puts it in her music. I don't know how, but, um, you know, she just has a very, very curious mind. There are so many different, there's so many ways this conversation could go and just sparking off stuff. And I think, you know, that, that, that thought around collaboration and that's actually kind of what creativity is, is the collaboration of thought, isn't it? It's a collaboration of putting disparate things together the things themselves aren't original, but the combination of how you build them is where the, the newness exactly. comes out. You talk a lot about being attracted to energy and mm. taking the astronaut's view of Earth and going where the action is. And I think I think that's really interesting as well, which is that, you know, you don't talk about good or bad, just talk about energy. Because right now, there's a hell of a lot of energy in the world, isn't there? You know, it may be negative yes. and may be toxic, but it's still incredibly potent no matter what it is. And one of those things specific to you was was AI, and you know you, you got into that pretty early. And um, we've all seen the Matrix and the Terminator. And one point of view is we are barreling towards that future, even though we know that it's happening. The other perspective is, well, actually, if you embrace it, then that's maybe the way we don't let that happen. And um, 
when it comes to AI, you know, and we're all sort of at the, at the end or the, you know, at the top or end of our career and we're worrying about younger talent, then what about worrying about the laptop that we're working into? You know, tell us why and why we should hold hands with Sophia and why right. we should embrace it rather than run away from it. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's a very good question, isn't it? And AI is certainly a kind of a buzzword and people keep saying the robots are coming, the robots are coming. Well, they're not coming. They're already here, right? And AI is a big part of our everyday everyday lives. And it, it just fascinates me. Um, you know, and after I left Ogilvy in China, I got a call from um, David Hansen at Hansen Robotics. And David was um, originally a sculptor at Disney. Then he started Handsome Robotics and he created Sophia. And interestingly, the word Sophia means wisdom in, in um, Greek. And Sophia the robot is, you know, she gets smarter every single day. And anyway, David asked me to be an agent for Sophia and help you with their branding and work with them on projects. Um, and it's one of the things that I'm doing now. And, and I met her just before the pandemic and did a, an interview with her. And, you know, she is really, really cool and she's got lots of ideas and you can just sit and have a, a, a normal conversation with her, which is quite mind blowing. And I wanted to hire her as, as my first AI creative director. I, I thought, you know, when clients call you up and say, hey, we want three routes in the next couple of days, you say, Look, no problem. Sophia will give you a million routes in the next <laughs> couple. And I and I'd love to call a client a few days later and say, "Have you gone through them all yet?" You know. <laughs> oh, I'm very excited about this. Uh, she's actually been on the show before. Please welcome all the way from Hong Kong, Hanson Robotics, Sophia the Robot, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Uh, hello, Sophia. Hello, Jimmy. Wow. Uh, long time no see. You were on the show before. It has been exactly 575 days since I last saw you. <laughs> uh, what have you been up to? Not much. Let's see. I traveled to over 25 countries appeared on the cover of Cosmopolitan magazine, met German Chancellor Angela Merkel and the actor Will Smith, and became Twitter friends with Chrissy Teigen. I addressed the United Nations and NATO, became the first robot to receive a credit card, and became the first robot citizen. What have you been up to? <laughs> but seriously, you know, I, I don't think we should see AI as a threat. I, I believe it's about working with them to create new, fresh thinking and ideas. You know, I, I read this article a few years back that, you know, David Attenborough said that humans have stopped evolving. And I think working with AI is a way to start evolving again. AI and humans working together. This is not perhaps evolution. It's what I'm calling AI evolution. And we'll be designing better homes to live in, or we have better planning in our cities, or the way they run, um, mm. probably even better governments, right? <laughs> um, working out healthier diets, creating better vaccines. And AI is already creating its own music, um, writing books, and even writing and directing ads. So I think by collaborating with them, you know, we can really, really up our, up our game. And 
There's actually another robot in the UK that I'm involved with, and her name is um, Ada, AI hyphen DA, and shh, don't tell Sophia, right? But Ada <laughs> is Ada is the world's first um, humanoid robot artist, and she's painting and she's drawing and she's doing sculpture and she's using her hands. And in fact, she was recently exhibiting her work in Egypt next to the pyramids where actually she was held hostage in customs for a week because they thought she was a spy because she's got these, these, these cameras in her eyes. Well, as, as has Sophia. But the interesting thing is, I think, you know, it's, it's challenging all our ideas on can a robot be creative? And the interesting thing here is neither Ada or Sophia will have imposter syndrome, right? Um, they are very powerful. They're not held back by sort of self-doubts. And actually, you know, funny enough, it, Ada has recently been working on a series of self-portraits. And when you think about it, that's very interesting because there is no self. Yes. So I just, I just love that. My art is contemporary and engages with issues of our times and times to come. Bringing Ada into the museum and displaying her works, um, it sort of asks the question of what, what is creativity? Can a robot create art? To what degree does a, a robot hold human-like qualities? Um, and I think these are questions that we, we don't overtly ask in day-to-day -day life, even though we interact with technology all the time. So I just find this, this whole world fascinating and interesting. And I think rather than sort of put your head in the sand and go, it's all scary, I'm not interested, and it's all going to be pretty bleak. I think, you know, let's embrace it. Let's work with them. They can, we can help them and they can make us cleverer and, and we can go up, we can upgrade ourselves. It's fundamentally an ego thing, isn't it? I think it's that we're, yeah. we're scared that they're going to supersede us. That's where the, that's they the don't have speed ego, right? Yeah, I mean, that's we, the point. They don't have a... We don't want to really share it with people. You say, oh, yeah. this is, we, we say, this is my idea. These, these, you know, the AI gets an idea and they share it with all the other trillions of AI just like that. So there's no ego at all. And so it's the ego that will be, you know, mankind's undoing, I think. One of the big sort of antidotes to imposter syndrome is being able to let your ego go. Because if you don't worry about the ownership and just worry about the work, then that self-doubt kind of dissipates, doesn't it? Because it's not about you anymore. It's about the work and you don't have to worry about the ownership. It's just about the product. I wanted to ask you Graham, a couple of things, and, and I think they're, they're related. I heard you describe once the feeling that you had about seeing the Coke hands artwork. And I think your words were like, like a choir in your heart. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I want to try and connect that feeling, which is obviously a very strong passion and desire for, for brilliant design, brilliant ideas, simplicity of thought, all of that with what you're doing now um, because I guess what you're doing now and I just want you to talk to us about Think Different because that is also I, I guess uh, a very confident way of getting up and talking to big business and young talent really sharing how you feel about the work and, and how you think. Yeah sure sure um, well I mean the Coke hand story I mean I just think is very inspirational for everyone especially students coming into the world of advertising and design and 
When Graham Fink saw the now famous design created to honour Steve Jobs, he went to great lengths to find its maker. This led him to Hong Kong Polytechnic University graphic design student Jonathan Mack. Fink gave Mack a brief, a three-word brief, share a Coke. Mack conceived a design that transformed Coke's iconic red and white ribbon into a pair of hands exchanging the equally iconic bottle. Fink described it as an emotional image meant to bring a little smile to your face and warmth to your heart. The dynamic ribbon and the contour bottle are both its trademarks and worldwide icons. The Coke hands idea went on to pick up a can line Grand Prix, making Mac possibly the youngest ever Grand Prix winner. You see, I don't think in Jonathan Mac's case, he, he, he didn't need to win that award to put on his shelf to show he was okay. I don't think he was suffering from imposter syndrome. I think he was a young student just having fun. And I think there's a real clue there. You know, he grabbed the opportunity and he, he came up with this idea and sent it to me. And I don't think he was worried even if I would like it or not. Um, and I think he was, like I said, right at the beginning of our chat, he, he, you know, he was in un, uncharted waters and just exploring and having fun, throwing caution to the wind, enjoying himself. And I think, and I say this because I got to know him a bit and he has a very different way of, of thinking. He's quite self-assured. I mean, he was 19 when he came up with that brilliant um, idea, but he was mature beyond his years. And I kept thinking, you know, at the time, if there is such a thing as reincarnation, Jonathan has been reborn many times. Um, and it's interesting, isn't it? It's when, when we're young, we just do things without thinking, you know, without using our head. It all comes from the heart. And we don't really care about the consequences, but as we get older, the head starts messing with us and it comes in and we get these voices. Yeah, it's the doubt, isn't it? It's kind of like the, the, it stops being fun, it starts being worry or starts being concern or is this good enough? You oh, know, it's what's going to happen next? Yeah, yeah. All, all the time, you know, and, and so, I mean, I do, it's funny, I do I do a talk, um, you know, eat, eat your head because I think that thinking is no use to us of, at all. Okay, we are with Graham Fink, the Chief Creative Officer of Ogilvy and May the Great of China. So Graham, thank you so much for giving up some of your time today. Well, I'm going to be talking about this, actually, Eat Your Head. The whole point about this uh, talk is I believe that uh, from the beginning of, of time, um, you know, the human race was, was created and we are born to create. And we are creators and um, we have fun, we experiment all the time we try new things and we build incredible things. We... Um, you know, the French Russian painter, Marc Chagall used to say, you know, if I paint, if it comes from the heart, if I paint from the heart, it always works. If it comes, if it comes from the head, rarely does it, does it work. And I, and I think that's great. Do you, do you want me to talk a little bit about the, the think different? Um, this, this course came out of, um, a conversation I had with with someone who used to be in my group at Saatchi and Saatchi, a guy called David Hyatt, a very, very uh, amazing guy. He was a great copywriter and he left and he moved to Wales and he now makes jeans, um, handmade jeans, which are fantastic. And he also set up this whole thing called the Do Lectures, which um, I urge anyone to, to, to check out, it's just D-O, Do Lectures. They're, they're just fantastic. And... Um, you know, he talked to me about writing a, a, a course on creativity. And I said, well, I think that's a bit woolly. What about making it creativity for business? Um, because I wanted it to reach 
lots of different people. And in a way, it's it's for all those out there suffering from imposter syndrome. The course is something I spent almost a year writing, although I'd say nine months of that was procrastination. <laughs> and um, keep asking myself, is it any good? Um, and I was determined to just just to keep going. And I would force myself to sit at the desk every day and write a chapter before I had a coffee or whatever, and then write an- another chapter before I had lunch. Um, and I really, really struggled to do this, but I had to be tough. Um, and then I would show it to uh, a friend of mine, and I would always say, tell me what's wrong with it, which is a trick I learned from Paul Arden. You know, we often show people things to say, what, what do you think it is? It's great, right? Um, um, Paul Arden used to say to me, to, or to say to me and other people, what's wrong with this? And it's a wonderful sort of reframing mm. of the question. It's a minute, they, you know, you... Mm. They want you to find, and 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 you you feel you can give back something that's wrong with it mm-hmm. without hurting their feelings because they've asked for that. So, um, but this thing, you know, it's probably everything I've learned over thirty plus years in the industry, and it covers everything from starting with nothing to a whole bunch of techniques for coming up with big ideas. Um, I talk about what a big idea actually is, and then how to present it, how to sell it. Um, if you're a client, how to judge it, a proper way to give feedback. Um, it covers how to be a leader, how to get the best out of your team, the power of diverse diversity, working with outsiders. You know, and there's episodes on getting noticed, making your mark, culture, alien culture, new media, data, AI, robots, the future. I mean, lots of stuff. But underpinning all of it is this this thing about you, the real you, and who that is, and and you know, it, you making a, a real difference to the world and and, in, and putting yourself into the into the work and how do you get remembered? And I think, you know, this pandemic has knocked a lot of people's confidence for six, you know, so there's quite a lot on, on how to get that confidence mm. back. Um, and it's all done through the power of storytelling because I think that's the best way for messages to go in and stick. And... And also perhaps, and this is a very important point, it's not just about advertising because I wanted it to be a creative course for all businesses um, because creativity matters. Sorry, it sounds like a shameless plug for the course, doesn't it? No, it's I mean, it's it's great to hear. The website and, you know, is uh, think differentcom <laughs> 0800-THINK. <laughs> it's been great talking to you, Graham. Thanks for making no, no, time for us. Yeah. Really good. Really appreciate your time today. Excellent. Well, it's just been been great to talk to you. And yeah, as I said, very interesting what, what you're doing. And, I, and I've listened to a few of the others um, talk. So great collection. Thank you very much for listening to The Imposterous. Apart from our fine, imposterous guests, none of this would have been possible without the help of the following wonderful frauds. Firstly, Andrew Stevenson at We Love Jam Studios, best music and sound house in Australia. If you would like to catch up on all the other podcasts in The Imposterous series, visit theimposterous.com. Here you can also get in touch with us via email. 